welcome to the Building Bridges podcast, a platform for bettering LDS interfaith relationships. I'm your host, Taylor Niebergall. When it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, having a faith crisis can sometimes create a rift in relationships between those who leave and those who stay. The goal of this podcast is to equip listeners on either side of that rift with the tools that they need to start building bridges, crossing chasms, and ultimately, healing relationships through mutual respect and understanding. Each episode will feature bold perspectives as we explore topics that can create these rifts, validate the struggles that they pose, and discuss tools you can use to literally bridge the gap. Let's get to building! All right, Kylie, thanks for being with us today. It's so great to have you. No, thank you so much for having me. I I just think this is an amazing project and I so appreciate it. So thank you. I'm honored. Well, gee, we're honored too. I just want to give a quick announcement to our listeners that our title of the podcast has been changed from bridges to building bridges. The email address now is buildingbridges.taylor at gmail.com. And the Facebook page for those of you who follow has been changed to Building Bridges Podcast as well. So those are just a few quick changes I wanted to announce at the beginning. And with that, we're going to dive right on in. So Kylie, let's talk for a second about you. Um, I want to ask you first how you got involved in being on the podcast, how you heard about it, and why we are honored to have you with us today. Yeah, so my good friend Christopher Nelson sent me the podcast in the first place. And Christopher and I have a really (laughs) interesting and fun relationship because we both teach at Utah State and he is a very active member of the church and I am a person who has left the church. So we have a lot of sort of these types of conversations about faith and, you know, bridges all the time. So he just thought that maybe I would like the podcast and I do. So yeah. Well, that's great. And I want to give a shout out to your friend, Christopher. Listeners, that's what we're doing here. When you share it, we get awesome people like Kylie on our podcast. So thanks, Christopher, for sharing. And thanks, Kylie, for volunteering. And you also said, Kylie, you know, my friend, Christopher, he's active in the church. I'm a person who's left the church. Do you like using terms such as, you know, an ex-member or what, what do you refer to yourself as? So I try to be respectful of active Mormons because I, <laughs> I just did it. Okay. I try to be respectful of active members because I realize that since I've left, there's been sort of a semantic change and uh, president mm-hmm. Nelson has asked, you know, to use the full name of the church. When I was in the church, it was all like, everything was Mormon and I am a Mormon. And like, I was a Mormon missionary. So I'll probably Like if I'm just talking amongst like friends, I probably will call myself an ex-Mormon, but I'll try to be mindful and call myself an ex-member if that's important. I was actually asking for the intent, haha, because our episode is about intent and impact to just make sure that you're comfortable that I don't call you anything that would be contrary to what you'd like to be called. So, oh yeah, I would want me to call you. I should probably just call you Kylie. Labels are dumb anyway. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good with whatever. I'm easy. So, okay. The topic today is intent versus impact. So Kylie, why did you choose this topic? Why was this interesting for you to be a member on? As I mentioned, uh, I teach right now at Utah State University and I teach English, but I specifically teach rhetoric and composition. So I spend a lot of time thinking about rhetoric 
and the way we choose to deliver messages and the way that that may come across to our audience and sort of the way that can impact them. So, you know, I think about this stuff all the time and especially being in such a highly like an area with so many members of the church, I think that there's sort of this natural divide that happens where, you know, there are sort of members and ex-members, which is, you know, the point of this podcast. But I think it's really important that we think about our rhetoric and our messaging and the way that it can come across to sort of the other group, because it's really easy to be out of touch with that group and forget. So I just think this is so important. Wonderful. I so value the background that you come from and the perspective perspective that you can bring to just the fact about talking about this, considering what you do for a living. I think that's going to offer great, great insight. Do you want to share a little brief explanation of your story, how you got on the path that you're on right now and what that looked like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, spark notes, (laughs) brief version. I come from Lehigh, Utah. So, you know, very, very, you know, lots of members of the church in that area. And I came from a very devout family. And I was about as zealous as you can be in the church for the first 22 years of my life. So I was incredibly active, went to church every single Sunday, went to every activity ever, a fully believing member. Um, I served a mission at 19 in McAllen, Texas, and I worked as an EFY counselor when I got home. So the church was like my whole life until I did decide to step away in 2018, 2019. So uh, since that time, I've stepped away, but I still have very active family members and I still teach students in Cache Valley that are very, very active, um, devout members. So uh, the church is always going to be in my life. It's been a big part of my life and it's just changed forms a little bit. Okay. Thanks for those spark notes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how much time do you have? <laughs> yeah. So true. Well, feel free to elaborate at any point. So we're going to define intent and impact. Intent is the act or the fact of intending as to do something, how I'm hoping you will receive my message, either from words or actions, um, just my overall intention. Now, defining impact is to have an effect on um, how this message lands. And it doesn't even have to be about messages. Impact also can be defined as how things land or how things hit you physically, Uh, you know, how things impact you emotionally, spiritually, mentally, all sorts of factors. We can call that all impact. It's just how it resonates with you, how it affects you, maybe is what we could say. So it's important to try and decouple our intent and our impact in our everyday conversations because they can sometimes not be synonymous or congruent or compatible. And I've been (laughs) going back and forth, like, which one of those words do I want to use to describe that there's, you know, a dissonance between them? And I think I might say synonymous or congruent, but I, I keep changing because for some reason I just can't land on one of them. Okay. So the problem that comes up in bridge building is when someone's intent impacts somebody in a way that is not synonymous. And I'm going to give examples of synonymous intent and impact and a non-synonymous or non-congruent. So a congruent example is my friend introduces me to a song that she thinks I'm going to love and I do love it and we listen to it and we dance and we rock on and it's wonderful party, you know. Okay, here's a non-congruent example and this actually happened to me. My friend, or in this case it was my sister-in-law, 
shows me this song because she thinks I'm going to love it and it's a beautiful song. We both love musicals. Uh, little did she know that this song was very triggering for me to hear. My friend had just lost her baby and the song was talking a little bit about, you know, looking into a newborn child's eyes and loving that child. And so when she said, oh, Taylor, you're going to love this song. And she showed it to me in the car and I was in the backseat and I was just slowly bawling my head off trying to keep it together. And she was like, okay, wow, what's going on? You know, this was not congruent with my intention. Um, I thought we would be enjoying this song together and you're crying. So um, for me, there was a triggering impact and I couldn't hold it back. So in bridge building, we have these non-congruent examples and sometimes it's totally by accident. And my sister-in-law had no idea that that could trigger me. Sometimes though, I think we, we might know deep down that this could trigger someone and we say it anyway. And I think that's something I want to try and help people avoid doing in the future. I've got a couple other examples. Have you ever had the chance to go into a performance interview and your boss sits you down and they say, I'm going to tell you 10 really great things that you've done and then just give you an idea of one thing you can improve on and what do you go away with after that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Are you yeah. thinking about those 10 great things? Why is it that that impacts us um, in the way that you know we really aren't benefiting from, but it's just kind of natural to focus on one thing that might upset us or is triggering. So that's another example, you know, giving an invitation to a baby shower when you're infertile or you've had a miscarriage. And that's another incongruent example. Anytime. Okay, Kylie, I think anybody can say this that's active on Facebook. If you've ever, you know, had a Facebook post where you're trying to make a point about something, And somebody comes and they chew you out, you know, that's a totally great example. I think most people can relate to the intent and the impact being non-synonymous. And there's just so many, oh wait, I didn't mean that. And well, I didn't mean this either. And I I think I'm gonna go into an example of that a little bit, but I want to hear your example first because I feel like I've been talking too much and I want to hear from you. (laughs) No, you're good. Uh, you bring up many great points. And yeah, this is, uh, I love that you're pointing out that this is a problem, not only, you know, between two distinctive groups or like people with a distinct difference in belief, but just in general, this happens all the time, right? And yeah, social media has totally exacerbated it. Uh, but I was thinking when you asked me for an example of this, I was kind of thinking specifically about how this can happen between maybe active members and ex-members of the church. And I was just thinking back to this class I was in over the summer. And we were having a discussion about the LGBTQIA plus suicide problem in Utah. And there were several queer members of the class that were sort of sharing their experiences with religion and sharing how it had been maybe harmful or how it had, you know, caused a lot of pain in their lives. And then this sweet, sweet, sweet girl (laughs) who I adore. And I totally think I understand where she was coming from. Um, But at the end of that conversation, she raised her hand and she was like, I just want to bear my testimony of the church and how um, Jesus Christ can heal you all from all of this and like how your pain can be uh, taken away. And uh, that was, it was so interesting because 
I, I know for sure that probably like when I was a missionary or when I was younger, I might've done something similar. Mm-hmm. And I know it's coming from a good place in her heart because this has brought her comfort and the church has been her lifeline. However, everyone in that class had been sharing how, you know, maybe religion wasn't a comforting place for them and maybe Christ wasn't a comforting figure for them. And so I think that the impact was a little bit more damaging because I think those people felt like maybe they hadn't been heard or understood. And, you know, they they were kind of like, no, like, (laughs) I'm telling you religion's the problem. And anyway, I just, I was just thinking about that. And like, I can so see the heart of the young woman that wanted to share. And I just see how, how easy it is for there to be a disconnect, you know, when you're trying to be comforting or helpful and you just don't realize you're talking to people with very different experiences. Yeah. I feel like I've even been that girl and then Mm -hmm. I have been awakened to the sense that what I said was harmful Mm -hmm. and just, I want to tell you how devastating that has been for me in my life. When I come in and I, I just don't realize that what I'm saying is not helpful at all and it's hurtful and it's damaging And it makes me feel bad for that girl. I'm already feeling bad for the other students because I think it's easier to side with the people who are having a a bad impact. But I also can say from the point of view of the girl, I think I've, I've been a bad intent giver before, and it is also a painful place. And I don't want to diminish the sadness that she feels too. And this is a really good example that, and I'm glad you said, oh, I thought you wanted to example between the active members and the people who aren't I do and that's why I'm like let's let's start with your example and dive right into that you know for that girl I wonder what her focus was I think her focus and this is me assuming yeah. is she might feel this intense need inside like if I don't say anything you know this will be a missed opportunity for me to tell people the the truth you know of the gospel and if I don't say anything you know that's a missed opportunity. I have to speak up. I have to speak up. And sometimes I think that people have that nagging feeling. I would just say, let's, let's step back, step back just a little bit and ask yourself, what is it that I really need to say here? Do I really need to say something? And even though I can't control how people are impacted by what I say, I want to lean into wondering how people might be impacted by what I say and be aware of that. Instead of focusing just on what I need to say, what I need to say, think a little bit of what will they hear? How will this affect them? And is that what I want? Is that really what I want? Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. And that, you know, reminds me so much of being a missionary because ideally you decide to serve a mission because you love the gospel and you want to share it with people and you want to help people. But I think anyone who serves knows it can get really conflated really quickly with, you know, like this sense of obligation, this sense of even fear. Like if I don't share this, like God's going to be mad with me and this is my obligation. And, and so I think it's really easy, specifically in missionary situations for the motivation to be convoluted, right? Because I think when you're sharing only from a place of love, the impact might be something different than you intended. But I think a lot of times the receiver understands that it's from a place of love and they can feel that. And I think sometimes it's hard to recognize even within ourselves that, oh, maybe this isn't entirely love. Maybe this is also like zeal or fear or I don't know, some other emotion. And so 
anyway, I appreciate that you bringing that up because um, I think even as the message giver, sometimes we need to check our own hearts. Absolutely, we do. I was just thinking to myself, if I'm checking what I say before I say it, I really want to be aligned with God. And I don't want to diminish if someone says, I felt strongly that I needed to say this, or I felt strongly. I don't want to diminish, you know, your spiritual promptings, but I do want to point out what is this strong feeling? Do I feel peace about this strong feeling? Do I feel defensive about this strong feeling? Do I feel fearful about this strong feeling? I personally feel that defensive feelings and fearful feelings aren't coming from God. I personally feel that if you've got a strong feeling and it's coming from God, that there is a peace behind it and that there is love behind it. And there's, you have like this, this thought of like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to move forward with this instead of like, what are they going to say? You know, I feel like that's, I sound so silly, (laughs) but I I just, I want people to recognize, okay, if I'm getting this, this feeling, this deep feeling, is this a prompting or is this, is this a fear? Just, just sit with that for a minute and ask yourself, what, what is this feeling? How do I address this feeling? And if you are a religious person, you know, pray for confirmation before you speak, try and get to a place where you're calm and not a place of, you know, feeling obligated or feeling scared. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yes. And also, um, I just want to emphasize, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, say like, don't share if you feel you should, or don't like not to diminish that at all. But yeah, it's maybe, maybe it is just about sort of pausing a little bit and being like, okay, where is this really coming from? And how do I know? And if it is coming from, like, I feel like it's coming from God, then how, you know, how can I do it in a way that's respectful and loving? And, you know, so I think maybe it is just about sort of taking a few seconds or a minute and just being like, okay, what is this emotion and what do, what is the appropriate thing to do with this emotion? Absolutely. I had another example that I just wanted to jump into the meat of it all, but going back to Facebook, I recently was reading Elder Holland's very, very impactful speech at BYU. And I had only decided to read it because I had seen so much flurry about how it was impacting people. And so when I read it, I was taking notes and, and feeling like, how is this impacting me? How can I see it's impacting others? And when I went to um, share some of my takeaways, I got a lot of backlash, <laughs> like so much backlash. And my intention was to say, hey, I think that it's okay that we're not always able to feel the same way that each other feels. And still validate those that hurt, even if we don't necessarily feel that hurt too. I think it's really important to, you know, extend some empathy. And for me, I didn't personally feel impacted that it was a super positive message, nor did I feel that it was a super negative message. But I think a lot of people did feel that it was negative. And Mm -hmm. I really care about those people, you know, and that was kind of the meat of my, my message. And I got one woman in particular just absolutely tore into me. And it was really, well, what she said impacted me in a way that I felt like, wow, she's really charged. She is really hurting. She's really angry because she's just kind of ripping into me right now. Mm-hmm. And so then, so I had this chance. I was the message giver 
and I impacted her. And then when she responded, she had this chance. Now she's the message giver and she's impacting me. And when I'm reading what she said, I'm feeling all these impacting feelings. And I'm like, okay, ouch. Okay. Ow. Okay. Ouch. Okay. This hurts. And then I thought, you know, maybe this is what, you know, I did to her, you know, and I didn't, it wasn't my intention, but I'm recognizing that. And so now it's my turn again. I, and you don't always have to take a turn. You can just step away, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to try something new instead of saying, okay, I'm hurting. I'm charged. I'm going to say something to you to let you know how I feel. I'm like, I'm going to just validate that she's hurting and that she's charged. And so I was able to say, Hey, instead of coming from a charged and hurting place, I am listening to you and I am going to think about what you said. And I can tell that you're hurting. And I just want to let you know, I'm so sorry. And that absolutely turned it around. And she was like, Oh, Hey, you know what? Thanks. Um, No hard feelings. It's all good. (laughs) And I was like, wow, really? Is it that easy? (laughs) Um, but it really was that easy when I, I switched the focus of being like, I need to tell you that this wasn't my intention. I just said, okay, this looks like you were impacted this way. Let me focus on how I impacted you. And as soon as she felt listened to, and as soon as she felt heard, she didn't have this need to say, no, listen to me, hear me. I'm hurting. She was able to just, you know, feel good again. So that was an eye-opening experience for me. And I hope I get better. No, me too. Me too. And it's so interesting you bring that up because I had sort of a a similar experience where I had posted something about Holland's talk, which I thought was, I I was trying to be respectful, but personally, I was thinking that it was more of a a negative message. And so it was so interesting because I I posted something which I thought that I had tried to be really mindful about, you know, how I was presenting it and how it might hurt people. And nevertheless, I had a family member call me and she actually said she's a believing member and she agrees with everything in Holland's talk. And she called me and she's like, you never think about how the stuff you post impacts me. And I was like, oh, (laughs) like surprised. And I was like, yeah, I guess I don't. And that, that was really interesting experience for me as well. And I love like in your example, how you share, like once she felt listened to, then, you know, everything got better. Cause I really do think like, I do think deep down that that's all that we really want is to know that we're seen and we're heard and we're valued. And I think there's sometimes a lot of like talking over each other that can happen Mm -hmm. um, because you know, sometimes I think we sort of listen to correct. We're like, Hey, like (laughs) you don't understand me. You are making assumptions about me. This is how I feel. And like, you're just sort of like waiting for an opportunity to like present your point. And I just, I think that's so powerful that like, as soon as you just kind of say, Hey, I hear you. I know. I understand what your needs and values are. I know this is important to you and that people feel seen and it just becomes so much safer of a place instantly. Yeah. It's weird that we just can't do it. Yeah. I mean, we can, <laughs> we can, and we will, and we're doing great and we're learning and it's fine, but it's yeah. weird that the natural tendency is so urging us to be like, no, you listen to me. You are stepping mm-hmm. over me. I need to defend myself. I have to defend myself. It's so strange that that urge can displace all sorts of logical <laughs> and rational and slowing down thoughts. And it just, kind of takes over our animal brains. It's mm-hmm. tricky. It's totally. just tricky. So tricky. You're right. <laughs> my friend, she 
told me the analogy of the hammer. And she's like, oh, you've probably heard this, Taylor. And I'm like, no, please tell me. So shout out to my friend, Sam. Thanks for this analogy. She said, you know, if somebody comes along and they drop a hammer on your toe, it hurts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if the person meant to drop the hammer on your toe, it hurts. And if the person accidentally dropped the hammer on your toe, it hurts. The pain is the same, but you feel a little differently knowing that the intent was different. So it's just, I think it's valuable to know where the person is coming from. I I think that's really beautiful and that it acknowledges like, because I think sometimes we as message givers feel like because our intent was good, that, you know, it shouldn't be impacting somebody else. So it's sort of like, oh, don't take it that way. You're misunderstanding. You're taking this out of context or whatever. And I, what I love about that analogy is sort of that acknowledgement that like, you know, that pain is real um, regardless of whether you intended it um, or whether that was the intent of, of the other person. Like that, that pain is real and it needs to be addressed and validated. But at the same time, I think it's good for a message receiver if they feel like, they're sort of being hit with that hammer, right? Like something is painful for them. I think it's so good for them to be like, you know what, this hurts. I need to take care of myself. I need to validate my own pain. But I can understand that like sometimes people make mistakes. And like if you if someone accidentally drops a hammer, it's it's a lot different, I think, because as much as you're in pain, you also have empathy for the, the dropper, right? Because mm, yeah, beautiful. Like, yes. Like Cause like for me, like, I don't, I think about this all the time. Like somebody backed into my car on accident once and they were like, so apologetic and uh, I didn't care. It's a really old car. It's already got a million, you know, bumps and scrapes. And like, of course my car is still broken, but because I understood their intent, I was like, you know what? I can imagine hitting somebody else's car and how bad I would feel. So I know the position that they're in. So anyway, I think that's a beautiful metaphor. I think the key to what you said there is if you can understand that this other person's intent was good, it Mm -hmm. gives you the ability to extend empathy to the message giver and how, how perfectly beautiful. I I just thought that was so beautiful. I think a lot of times the message givers have a hard time. Like you hurt somebody, you caused the pain. You are the problem. You suck. (laughs) Um, But um, when, when you really know, like, Hey, this person, I, I just going to extend empathy to them. I feel bad for them. That's just really beautiful. So thanks for saying it that way. Yeah, of course. Well, that's a great, great analogy. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of a rhetorical question and we've been dancing around it a little bit. And so I'm going to ask this rhetorical question, but I'm going to let you toy with it and answer it however you will. What do you think is more important to focus on? Do you think it's more important that we focus on intentions or impact? Mm. That's a great question. I mean, I think you have said this before, but I think you have to focus on whatever is in the realm of your control, you know? So like, if you are giving a message, then it is, first of all, in your control, how you give that message, right? So, you know, as far as intent, we'll never be able to do it perfectly. Just like you shared, like the example with your friend in that song, like, oh my goodness, we can never know 
all the things that are in someone's heart and mind and life at the moment and how they may take something. We just can't know that. But um, to the extent that we can, I think as message givers, it's really good to be familiar with the needs and values of our listeners and the, you know, the message receivers. And like, to the extent that we can try and think about the impact and yeah, try to have pure intent when you're receiving a message. Gosh, I think you can't, well, you're just in that situation. You have no control over what message is going to be given, but I think you do have control over to some extent, how you let, how much you let that impact you. So part of it might be giving the benefit of the doubt to the message giver that maybe they didn't have an mm-hmm. ill intention. And part of it might be like, okay, I need to like take care of myself and think about how I'm going to mitigate, you know, the effects of this thing that impacted me. But I don't know. I don't know if you can say one is more important than the other. I think in either case, you have to be mindful in, in the ways that you can. So when you're giving a message, you mindful of your intentions and kind of like we said earlier, like, you know, pausing and being like, okay, what, am, what emotions are fueling me? What really are my intentions? Am I aware of them? And then on the flip side, when you're the message receiver being like, okay, how can I not assume Ill, Ill intent from this other person? And what can I do if, something is said that negatively impacts me to take care of myself. I don't know. That's a long answer, but just some thoughts, I guess. It was great. It's exactly what I would conclude with, like focusing on what is in the realm of your control is what's most important in that moment. I think a lot of times there's this compulsion to put all the blame on the person that isn't you and um, put all the blame on what you don't have control over and say, well, what's more important is the fact that they did this, you know? Yeah. Um, But I think it's more important for you to say what's in my control. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's in control for me right now is intent. So intent is what I'm going to focus on, or it's for me, I need to focus on how this might impact people. That's what I'm going to focus on. I'm not going to focus on them. I'm not going to focus on what's out of my control. And I think either as the message giver or the message receiver, It might be more important for you to focus on intent or impact, but only in the realm of where that is in your control. For example, the message giver cannot control how the message receiver will be impacted, but they can focus on impact in as much as how might I impact them, you know, and the message receiver, they, it might make sense. Well, they'll, they'll just be focusing on impact, but they also have an important duty to focus on the intent, like you said, extending the benefit of the doubt, assuming good intent. So just focus on what is in the realm of your control and don't put all the blame on, well, they should have been more in control of them because, you know, that's out of your control. Just let it go. That has nothing to do with you. Focus on what you have control on is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. And yes, um, maybe I said this already, though we can't control for everything, And like, you know, there's always going to be unforeseen impact to our words. I do feel, and maybe this is the rhetoric teacher in me, but I do feel that it's really, really important that we, we do think a lot about messaging and, and try to really know the the people that we are addressing. Um, And I guess like an area that this comes up a lot in right now in, in scholarship is um, we're thinking a lot about like racism and how racism has 
been in the United States. And I really believe that like the majority, the majority of Americans, you know, don't have bad hearts. Mm -hmm. And usually like racism doesn't look like, you know, hate crimes and terrible things. But sometimes there can be implicit things we don't even pick up on or just things built into our culture that we don't even pick up on. We're never going to be able to know the full impact of what we say. I do think it's important that we realize that impact does matter and not just intent matters. Even though maybe we don't intend to be racist, if somebody from that community tells us that it's impacting them, like it's okay to have accountability and say, let me change that, right? And so I guess that's sort of a a long drawn drawn out way of just saying like, you can have good intentions, but I think it's still important to be humble, which is hard, but to be humble about when even your well-intended words are having a negative impact and just being willing to say like, I had good intentions, but those good intentions, maybe they don't undo some of the pain of the impact. So anyway, I guess that's my other thing to say about intent, that intent matters. And, um, but know that like good intent doesn't always cancel out, you know, negative impact and just, we're just doing the best we can. Like we don't have to beat anybody up. We don't have to beat ourselves up, but I think it's so important to be humble and to listen to our message receivers. I think that's beautifully said. There's this thing called the Dune. I don't know if it's done or Dune the doom Mm -hmm. Kruger effect where it's like, because I've come so far and I've grown and I'm a good person, it blinds me to the behaviors that I still haven't changed. And Mm -hmm. I like you believe that most people out there are really good people and they have pure intent. Most people are just not aware that their behaviors aren't lining up with what they're saying, or they're not aware that their behaviors haven't changed, but that doesn't mean, you know, that their hearts aren't good. That that's just something that they need to come to realize. And I think that you're right. It does come through humility. So anyway, I think um, this is great. We're just getting into so much of the meat of this. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we'll get into the meat when we get further into examples and when we get into advice. But I feel like we've already unpacked so much good stuff. I'm just loving it. Good. Anyway, I'm going to go into this section where we're going to talk about examples within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints of intent and impact. And I'm going to talk about how it can be congruent and how it can be non-congruent. So I think missionary work and proselytizing, that's a big one. You know, the intent there is like, oh, that's a really a pure intent. My intent is to bring souls to Christ. You know, you've been a missionary. I've been a missionary. That's what we say in the morning, you know. Um, And then, you know, (laughs) the impact can be congruent and it can be non-congruent. If it's congruent, then the message receiver is like, I feel, I feel the Savior's love. I I have peace entering my heart. I feel motivated to follow Jesus and it's all good. You know, if it's, if it's not congruent, the message receiver might feel a sense of, okay, this is demeaning. I feel a little bit of elitism. Do you have a Savior complex in me? Are you telling me that like everything I've been doing is wrong. Like, why are you acting like you've got it all and I don't have anything? So mm-hmm. there's just, that's, I'm going to kind of just go briefly, but that's missionary work and proselytizing. I'm going to talk about ministering next. Okay. When ministering is congruent, you know, the intent is like, Hey, we're going to help each other out. The impact is, Hey, I've been helped out. So we grow closer as friends. We fill one another's needs and yay. Happy day. You know, if ministering is not congruent, Maybe you feel like this is a chore. I feel like I'm just a chore to you. You're doing this, but you're not sincere. 
maybe you feel a sense of possible elitism, like you're here to minister to me. Do you feel like you're better than me? The next example, policies, talks, um, announcements, you know, like when we, they had the policy of the children of gay couples need to wait to be baptized till they're older. There's like policies like that. If the intent and the impact are congruent, people feel like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm down. I'm unified. I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm uplifted. I'm glad the brethren are speaking and we're good. You know, when the impact is not congruent, people are triggered. People are confused. People are discouraged. People are hurting. People are sometimes defensive. I think confused is the biggest one there on that specific policy. I think a lot of people were confused and hurting. Okay. So do you want to talk about any of those before I talk about the biggest one being the example of a faith transition? Hmm. No, I think that that was a, a great summary. Yeah. Okay. We'll keep going with the faith transition and dive into that more since that's kind of what we do here as bridge yeah. builders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to use the example. Okay. This is a child that's going to leave the church. So they say to their parents, okay, I am leaving the church now. And so the parents as the message receiver might have this impact. It's most likely, I feel that the impact is I did not do a good enough job as a parent and I feel betrayed. And what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? You know, there might be some examples out there where this is a synonymous impact intent where the parents are like, okay, you're going to leave the church and I'm all in and that's fine. But considering what we do at the bridge building podcast, we're going to talk about the tough issues. And here the tough issue is this isn't okay with me. I'm freaking out. All the negative stuff is what we want to talk about here. And if you have had a faith transition where everything was smooth, good for you. That is so <laughs> awesome. I hope yeah, there's wow. more of that. But the reality of that is just not very common. So let's talk a little bit more about how this situation can be navigated. You know, the parents are saying, okay, I'm betrayed. What did I do? This is a really negative impact on the parents. And the parents are going to have the opportunity now to turn around and they're going to be the message deliverers. They might say things like, why are you doing this to me? Have you been reading the Book of Mormon sincerely? Have you been praying? Who have you been hanging out with? What's what's gotten into you? You know, now the child has a turn to be impacted by what the parent is saying. And now the child feels betrayed. Like you think that I'm choosing to sin? Do you think I'm trying to hurt you? Are you choosing to love this institution of the church more than you choose to love me? So again, it's like, let's work from this charged place and say these things when we're charged. I'm hurting. I feel betrayed. And all the things coming out of my mouth are going to impact you in a way that you will now hurt and you will feel betrayed, even if it's not the intent. When you're speaking, when you're charged, that is often how you impact somebody. Can you speak to the example of, you know, what you think a parent might feel from your faith transition? Yeah, sure. This is so, I mean, this is why we have all these podcasts because faith transitions are so, so messy. Oh my gosh. You know, I think, well, I, it's, it's a, it's very bizarre to be in the position of someone leaving the church um, for a few reasons, but one reason is because in, in one sense, you feel like you can understand where that other person is at. So like, I know when I was my most active or when I was on my mission or whatever, if a family member would have come to me and said, 
you know, I'm leaving the church. I know how that, that would have felt to me. And so in one sense, I feel like I can understand like where those people are and why it's hard. Um, but it's, it's pretty lonely on the other side, because unless you've been through a faith transition yourself, there's just a disconnect where, you know, you haven't maybe been where your child is and, and maybe you don't understand. And so, gosh, you know, I think from my own experience, I had this family member that I love, which I understand, you know, that he was trying to do the right thing. But when I told him I wanted to leave the church or that I was going to leave, he (laughs) essentially like sent me some book of Mormon verses and was like, you need to study, you need to pray. And also like a lot of stuff about like, don't be deceived by the devil and don't leave because you want to sin. And, Mm -hmm. you know, tell um, us how that impacted you, Kylie. Absolutely. I, I, again, I, I understand where this person was, but it really did hurt because anybody who knows me, like I am the girl who like, I will spend two hours at Barnes and Noble choosing between two books. And like, I just think about everything I do so carefully. And so for me, for him to say like, oh, you just want to sin or you just like, you were deceived or, you know, whatever narratives he might've had about why people leave. I just really didn't feel seen at all. I just felt like, wow, maybe like, do you really know me? And also that that message came before, you know, this person had taken the time to listen to why I had chosen to leave. And I think that's a fairly common experience where kind of, like I said, a lot of times, you know, people in a faith transition can somewhat understand the point of view of those still in, whereas the reverse isn't always true. And so I think it's a pretty common experience that like when people find out that their loved one is going to leave the church, they just become kind of militant and kind of defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to sort of um, save them or fix them or preach to them. And sometimes they do that without really understanding or, or listening um, about how that other person feels. And so, and I, I understand completely why that happens because I think that our beliefs are so deeply ingrained in us and it's so much of who we are that like our brains and our hearts, like just want to protect us. And sometimes I think even listening itself is vulnerable because to have your beliefs questioned is like having your identity questioned. And sometimes like, it's even hard to like, just to, to listen. But I, I think that one way of, I don't know, I guess one way of mitigating the negative impact on the side of the person whose family member is leaving is, um, you know, just really taking the time to listen to where they are and how they got to there. And of course, on the flip side, I think it's important if somebody is giving a message that they're leaving the church, you know, we also need to be mindful that that other person like, cares deeply about the church and that this is their identity, their heart, their soul. And like the way we present, present it needs to be, I I don't know. It's, it's hard, like, because you don't want to hurt the other person by choosing to leave the church, but it's, it's so hard. But I also think there needs to be an awareness on the part of the person leaving that, you know, even though this is my journey, my story, it might hurt somebody else. And so I need to be sort of careful to listen to them and their concerns and their fears and why this hurts them. So sorry, I kind of think I got off track there, but. <laughs> wow. No, my goodness. So much to unpack in what you yes. said. I hope I can remember 
all the okay. addresses <laughs> I was listening. But I think, you know, from the family member who reached out, I have, I have compassion for you. I extend that empathy. I understand that, or at least I can assume that what yeah. you were going through was based in concern for Kylie and that your intent was good. And I think I am reminded, I want to share, and I wish I could give this person credit, but I'm quoting from somebody who said something once on Facebook to me. (laughs) And I just love what she said so much. I copied it and I pasted it um, for my notes for later. And she was kind of describing the situation when I I had my controversially responded to Elder Holland post. Mm -hmm. She said um, to me, and it's not the same person, it's just a different person. She said, In the church, I think people have learned to take a stand first and show love second. This comes off as a defensive posture of a formerly persecuted people, so it makes sense and I get it. But I think it's outlived and it's no longer useful. And we know that it's not effective for marginalized populations or even on a basic level for building bridges And so I think, you know, that gut response is like, I have to respond to defend what I believe in that coming from a place where you feel like I need to make this point. I need to defend this. It's not as rooted in faith or in love. I think, you know, responses that are rooted in faith and love, like you said, are helped by first, have I really listened to Kylie? Have I really asked questions? Have I, do I have any intention of learning what she's going through or my intentions to make a point to defend the faith and to save her, you know, you know, those things, they're not like bad, you know, it's not bad to state a case. It's not bad to help. You know, if you want, if you think you're going to save Kylie, that's a great intention. But the point is, you know, is that really going to impact her positively? What's going to impact her positively is being listened to, and knowing that she's cared about. So instead of trying to make this point, how can I love Kylie? You know, how can I listen to Kylie? I also feel like when we act from the place of defensiveness, and again, it's normal, um, and it comes from a history of being persecuted. But I think, like you said, that's just what our brains tell us to do. But we can say, hey, you know what? I don't have to be defensive. I want to be a person of faith, not a person of defensiveness. And what can my faith teach me in this situation? I'm going to, I'm going to kick defensiveness out of my brain for a second. And what can I learn from faith? What can I learn from love? Uh, what, what would Jesus want me to do? Again, this is like the gospel according to Taylor and no, yeah. everything I say with a grain of salt, because everything I say is the gospel according to Taylor, because I can only bring in my perceptions, but I would say, focus on, can I come from a place of faith or am I coming from a place of defensiveness? Am I trying to show love? Or am I trying to make a point? Am I wanting to learn from her or am I trying to convince her that I'm right and she's wrong? You know, ask yourself these questions um, as, as a message giver, like, what is my intent? Really? What is it? And it's okay to just be honest with it and think about it and learn from what you're going through. And then I think even you said, like, it's so great that you're conscious of what is the message I'm going to be giving to my family and how can I soften that impact for them as well? If we could both be mindful as message givers, like how can I soften the way this will land? That's a great step. And then you've got the, okay, now it's landed and I'm feeling these feelings. How can I extend the benefit of the doubt? 
And we're going to get into all of those points for advice with, with discussions and such. But I think you're already showing a good example of thinking through those impacts and thinking about intent, even just describing your experience with that. So thank you. No, thank you. Sorry, that was like maybe not as coherent as I would have wanted it to be, but thank you. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of messy examples of um, the discussion of, hey, I'm leaving the church, ending up in really hurting hearts on both sides. A lot of negative impact happens. I know even I have a person that I love in my life where when she was leaving the church, she was so afraid to tell her grandparents that she like sat in the car and she bawled like I don't know how I'm gonna say this because she was afraid that the impact might cause a huge rift and I think people are navigating a lot of fear when they go to have these conversations because they're afraid of how the impact will affect the relationship and it's so sad like let's just let's just be kind and have empathy and listen and not present ourselves as people who are going to sacrifice how far we've come because I feel impacted negatively now and therefore the relationship is over. Let's be better than that. Yeah. Well, and I, that's so sad. And I so feel for that, that friend of yours. Um, I want to speak to a little bit to the defensiveness that can happen on the part of the person leaving. And I think perhaps this is exacerbated in places where there's a high concentration of members or in places where, well, or maybe even just people that come from super, super active families. I think there's defensiveness that comes from wanting to protect your beliefs and wanting to be understood and all of that. And I think that sometimes there's even another layer because I know for me, because I've been an active member, sometimes I know the conversations that happen around people that leave and and some of the talks that happen about people who leave. And so whether it's real or perceived, sort of from the time that I leave, I feel like I'm swimming against a current of assumptions that people might have about me and why I've left and what I believe and think and do now. And so I think sometimes ex-members can go into those conversations with just a lot of defensiveness and sort of just this feeling of, you know, please see me and, you know, please don't judge me. And like, sometimes I think we can enter into those conversations about faith transitions in a really militant way. That's like, Mm -hmm. let me tell you why I'm right. Let me tell you why the church isn't true. Let me tell you X, Y, and Z about church history, like whatever. And I just wanted to say, like, I think it's just so important that, gosh, not that there's any like absolutes in this, but I just think it's so important to get yourself to a place um, where you're emotionally healthy first before entering into those conversations where you might be defensive and you might be like militant because it only ends up in hurt when you approach it from a place of defensiveness. And I just think it's so important to specifically like people who are leaving, like it's so important to remember where you were when you were fully believing and remember how important the church was to you and sort of try to empathize with the people hearing that you're leaving because you know I mean it's easy for us to forget once we've stepped away and we're sort of outside the world of the church but it's so important to remember like the church is their whole world and it's heartbreaking for them when people leave and it's like you know they don't know if their family's going to be together forever and they are worried about did they do a good enough job as parents or friends or siblings 
it's so emotional on that end. So I just wanted to say like, you know, sort of specifically on the ex-member side, I understand like the, the feeling like you have to be defensive because of, you know, I, I totally get that. But <laughs> I, I think it's so important too to think about the impact you can have on believing members. So anyway, you kind of spoke about you know, receiving the message that someone was leaving. And I just wanted to speak a little bit to, you know, those giving the message that they're leaving. That's awesome. Thanks for extending that, I guess, extending that empathy, extending that grace. It's great that you can have both perspectives to remember from and (laughs) try and remember to extend that empathy. That's a great advantage that you have in that situation. So thanks for using it to your advantage. (laughs) Easier said than done. (laughs) Amen to that. Everything we're saying here is easier said than done. Yes. I'm like, am I perfect at this? Uh, no, <laughs> no, no. But yeah. it's all about building bridges, not the bridges built. We did it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think like we can even like be metaphorically pounding a nail in and then a boulder rolls along and knocks all the progress out, but we keep building, you know, that's what we're doing here. We're not, we have not arrived. We are just continuously trying So anyway, thank you for speaking on that end as well. I was going to ask you, you know, now that you are on the other side of your faith transition, are there things that continue to impact you like proselytizing or ministering? Have you had people try to say like, oh, I would like to minister to you or how can we get you in our ward? You know, any of those things that are impacting you in a different way now? And what could you say to those, those message deliverers, you know, if you could speak to them about how that's impacting you and maybe it's not super negative, maybe it's good, but you know, what's your experience with that today? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) it's kind of funny, but the people I get it from the most now are actually my students, (laughs) which which I understand um, because I have a lot of like brand new return missionary students who are, you know, super ecstatic and everything which I get so you know um goodness well so to you know maybe people proselytizing first of all you know people that that do it from a good place in their heart because they believe that this is the way to peace and joy and happiness and love like I thank you for that and I see that and I know it's coming from a good place in large part it comes from a good place in people's hearts the one thing that I guess I would ask people to think about when they think about proselytizing is that it's important to allow other people their humanity when you're in a a missionary situation. And so what I mean by that is like, you have to allow other people their experiences, even if they're different from yours. So this is really tricky specifically in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because it's so deeply embedded in the doctrine that personal truth equals universal truth. So like, for example, you know, it's promised in Moroni that if you read the Book of Mormon and pray about it, you're going to feel it's true. And then it's also like, if you have that confirmation, then everybody in the world who does it is going to have that confirmation unless they don't have real intent or like aren't really prepared or something like that. And so because of how it embedded, like into the doctrine, it is that personal experience is universal. I don't know exactly how this problem can be solved, but one thing that's really difficult for me as a receiver, when I am given a message of like a a proselytizing message is I feel like my experiences are constantly denied. So like, you know, because I have been a member, I am someone who I have read the book of Mormon. I have prayed about it. I have been to church. I have done all of those things. 
And I personally don't believe that it's the right path for me. And I totally get how hard that is to understand for someone active in the church. But I I think what's hard for me is having that experience continually denied. So like, Mm -hmm. if I tell you I prayed about it, I don't feel that. And then it's like, well, pray harder. You're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it's like, well, you don't really want the answer. You don't really care. You're not really open, you know, and all of those things. I, I think, again, intent impact, I understand that intent and, and that, you know, you want people to have the joy that you have. But I think it's so important to recognize that, like, each of us, we can only speak to our own experience. Like, we will never be inside someone else's body to know how they really feel or what they've really done or what their history is. And so the only thing I would ask people like missionaries or member missionaries is just honor my experiences. And if I tell you how I feel, I I need you to believe me and not sort of deny that for me. So anyway, but again, I do, (laughs) I do appreciate people who do it from a good place because they want to help. But Anyway, yeah, that's all I would say. Well, I think it's beautiful that you do extend that, you know, those people are assuming good intent and I recognize it. That's an awesome ability that you have to, to recognize that and be gracious about that to them instead of be defensive. And the, everything else you said about like, please honor that my, my experience is valid. It reminded me of the conversation with Amanda about uh, being denied credibility for her experiences yeah. in her life. So I would point anybody who hasn't heard that yet to go back and listen to that as well, because Amanda says something very similar to you that we're, because we're saying something different or because we don't agree, you discredit what I have to say as invalid. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of sad too. Yeah, it is. And of course I'll speak again to, you know, the flip side. And I think sometimes you know, ex-members can feel like, oh, that person that's a fully believing member, we can be like, oh, you know, it's like their culture or they're indoctrinated or whatever. And I think it's important for us too, to be like, you know what, they really feel that they really believe that that's really the world to them. And so, you know, we have to honor their experiences as well. Yes, it absolutely goes both ways. Did you have anything else you wanted to add before I move on to our advice section? No, no, that's everything has been peppered with advice so far, but we're going to drop a couple of bullet points about some advice and speak to those a little bit in depth. I'm going to read all the bullet points and then we'll break them down. Focus on what's in your power, giving people the benefit of the doubt, have a discussion with the other person when you can take accountability and listen. So focusing on what's in our power. I think as the message giver, you focus on what's in your power. What is your intent? You need to realize that the listeners are human and you can't control how they will react, but you can control your intentions with what you anticipate they'll react to. So you can be considerate of their impact. As the message receiver, what's in your control? You focus on how you're impacted, how you're going to take care of that. Why do you feel the way that you do? realize the message giver is human and you can't control their intentions. Um, I, I get mad when I hear like when people are like, I'm hurting, therefore you meant to hurt me or let me tell you what you meant. You, you can only control how you feel. You can't control the other person. So again, just try and extend the benefit of the doubt and focus on what you have control over. When you get the chance to be on the flip side, then you can focus on that part. But when you're doing you in that moment, 
leave the other person to themselves. You cannot control the other person. So try not to hyper-focus on what you feel the other person should be doing. And this is hard when you feel like it's unjust or you're not being given the, the credibility or you're not being seen. It's so easy to be like, see me, see me, listen, listen. But let's just focus on what you can do. What's in your control is to listen to them. What's in your control is to understand where they're coming from. It's not in your control to make them understand you. Understanding has to be conscious. You have to be ready and wanting to learn from somebody. You can't just shove understanding into somebody. So what's in your control is expanding your capacity to listen and not shoving your perspective on another person. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, Completely. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I don't think I've heard very many things very well, but it's fine. No, you did a great job. No, it's funny. Like, (laughs) I'm sorry to keep being English teacher, but... Um, I think a lot about the way that my sort of brand new freshman students write essays, because a lot of the times, like, they want to write like an argumentative essay, and like, they need to have evidence. And like, they just look up the articles that they can like, disprove, like how, you know what I mean? Like, they'll just be like, okay, I just, I'll go find some sources so that I can tell them why they're wrong in my essay. And I just think like, that's just so human nature, right? Like, oh, let me just listen so that I can like, tell you why you're wrong and why I'm right, you know? So I think that that sort of reminded me of what you said about (laughs) understand me and like, let me tell you, let me correct you and let me tell you why you're wrong. And, you know, I think, yeah, I think that's sort of what you're speaking to. Well, yeah, because you can never really control a person to listen. You can only control yourself to listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And (laughs) when you were saying that, it reminded me of the definition of research is not knowing what the answer is and then going and finding everything that supports it. (laughs) The definition of research is going out there and learning, not with the end in mind, because that's not, Mm -hmm. that's not research. (laughs) That's confirmation bias. Absolutely. Yeah. So I I love that you said that. So like, even in our conversations, (laughs) we need to be like, you know, good researchers or, and just not be like, let me get this conversation to where I want it and prove my point. But like, let me take in everything that's being said And let's see what we can learn. Let's see what we can learn about each other. Let's see how we can grow. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have very, very good examples of that being done. Like if you listen to political debates, they always steer it back to, well, this is my three points and this is my this. And let me just prove what you said. Do you ever even hear examples of, hmm, let me listen to where you're coming from, opponent. Let me understand your side. Um, that's just like laughable. That, that's not shown to us as an example in our society. No wonder we're bad at it. Um, oh, absolutely. And like yeah. with social media as well. I mean, it's kind of scary, but like our algorithms are t- tailored to give us exactly what we want. Oh, you're telling um, me it's crazy, yeah. scary confirmation bias. Machine. Yeah. And like all we see on social media is here, like, here's why you're right. And you're right. You're right. So then the conversations you get into with other people on social media, it's like, yeah, totally what you said, like the politicians where it's just, let me not even like, look at what you said. Let me not ask you any questions and like, let me just correct you. And let me, while I'm at it, tell you how big of an idiot you are for not yeah. noticing, like it's right there on Facebook. It's like in my, in your face every day. Are you not seeing what I'm seeing? Because <laughs> everyone's is personalized to make them feel right about what they believe in. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole nother discussion, but my that goodness, is it's a big deal. Terrifying. So let's try and steer away from that way of thinking and lean more into listening to other people. And so, and remember to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think that goes simply put enough. I don't need to expound on it. 
So let's talk about having a discussion. You need to try and learn from the other person and be gracious. And it helps to ask clarifying questions. If you're, if you're like, what, did they really mean that? Then ask clarifying questions along the way. If you're in the middle of a big discussion, especially, I think that'll help um, the impact and the intent stay congruent if you continuously ask clarifying questions because then you don't have as many opportunities to get confused. And my sister-in-law just did a great job standing up for herself and and talking to a person who had kind of belittled her and made her feel bad. She was at a doctor's office and she was dismissed quickly and she was in a lot of pain and she was crying. What the doctor had said was very invalidating and it impacted her very negatively. And instead of just sitting there and crying and feeling bad for herself, she's like, okay, I need to see the doctor one more time. And she had that discussion with him and it was a little bit scary, but she's like, listen, I need you to have a little patience. I need to say a few more things. I really need you to understand what I wanted to ask you. I didn't get the chance to ask you this. Can we please have this discussion go on a little bit more? And thankfully he was um, willing to listen and she was willing to listen. And she said, you know, I still was impacted negatively from what he said at the beginning, but it made my pain shorter than if that discussion never got to take place. Mm. And I think it's sad because a lot of times we leave these conversations never ever working through it. We never go back and have that discussion. And sometimes you can't, you know, sometimes you never see that person again. It was a one-time thing on a plane and, you, you know, and that's going to stay with you longer because you'll always be wondering, like, did I understand them? Could I have done something differently? What did they mean? So I think when you can have a discussion to ask clarifying questions and be gracious, it might be scary, but it will help make your questions answered and therefore your pain, it will still be painful, but it will last less longer. You won't harbor all these, like, what could I have done better? What could I have done differently? What did they really mean? How did I affect them? You know, if you get some closure and get some answers, then it's not going to hurt as long. Well, and I love that story. And I, I love how your sister, I just think what an act of act of courage to go back in, you know, because I think especially like when we're feeling hurt, when we've been impacted, the maybe the immediate reaction is like, let me wall myself up. I'm just going to be sad or mad and like, think about, you know, how that person hurt me. And I think it's really vulnerable to go back in, but I love going back in and like with an open mind too, you know, that, okay, I'm not going to automatically assume ill intent. Maybe they did have ill intent, who knows, but I'm going to go and really seek to understand. And so that's, I mean, what a great example. And that's such a good thing to do when we are emotionally at a place where we can and going in with that humility and that open heart that like, okay, what you said, what you did that really hurt me. And is this what you meant? Why did you say that? Why, what did you mean? Or like, where was this coming from? And like those kinds of questions open the door for connection. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, maybe like staying in your like isolation or with your walls up that you know, makes connection impossible. So I mean, that's a beautiful story. And even when you were reflecting it back to me, I noticed that we have to be aware of this balance. We don't want to assume, you know what, she should have just been focusing on listening and oh, you know, yes. her control. She should have not gone back. You know, there, we need to find a balance and standing up for ourselves as well. And so she needed to go in and say, hey, I, I need to continue this conversation with you. But she wasn't like, this is my point. This is my point. This is my point. Or maybe she was going to be, but thank heavens, 
it turned into let's listen to each other and they learned from each other. And then it was so much more civil after that. So there's this balance between I'm just going to try and listen with, I need to address you about this. Can we please have this conversation? I do need to say a few things because, you know, if you don't let them know, Hey, I was hurt. I was offended. Then they might not open the door to having that conversation. And then you won't get a chance to listen. You won't get a chance to ask clarifying questions. So it's not bad to say, I do need to have a conversation because so far I've been like, stop making it about being understood and making your point. There's a balance to it. You need to find that balance. Yeah. It reminds me of what we were saying earlier too, about just like taking that pause because there's definitely a place for communicating disagreements or giving a different perspective. Like that's important without that, nothing ever changes, nothing ever happens, but maybe it's important to be like, let me pause and make sure I really understand the situation and where the other person is coming from before I come in with that. Right. So like for her, maybe that was like, okay, I need to ask some questions. And then if they would have been bad answers, maybe then she would have needed to, to, to come in strong. I don't know, but um, yeah, so maybe it really is just about sort of letting there be some time between the stimulus and your own response. Maybe. And I think that can help people calm down a lot of the time. Okay. So this other point is to take accountability. I think um, something that could be a beautiful example of accountability is the message giver is they can say, Hey, I recognize that what I said was triggering for you. I am sorry. That's all you need to say. And I think that something beautiful for a message receiver in taking accountability could look like this. Hey, I recognize the intent of your message and how I was impacted isn't totally congruent with your intent and I forgive you. And sometimes you can even say, I know you didn't need to hurt me and it's not your fault. Or I know you didn't need to hurt me and it was beyond your control. But I don't want to say that it's always accurate to say that because, you know, If you accidentally run over somebody's child, it's still your fault, you know, but, but if, you know, someone dropped a hammer on your toe, you can say, Hey, that was out of your control. I think, you know, just how can I extend empathy to that message giver and show them that, Hey, I recognize this wasn't, this wasn't up to you. I recognize that you're a good person that if, if you did have control over this, you wouldn't have let it in a way that hurt me because I, I trust that you're being truthful about your good intent and that you wouldn't hurt me. So I think just sometimes you can say, Hey, it's not your fault. Sometimes maybe you can't say that. Sometimes all you can say is I forgive you. And that's just as beautiful too. Both of the message giver and the message receiver are required to have a lot of humility to say either of those things, because it's really easy to get defensive and cling to needing the other person to acknowledge it first. But um, we should do our part in making the first move whenever possible. And a plug for the September Liahona, they have a lot of really good stuff in the Liahona and it had an article that the key to navigating conflict. That was the name of the article. I loved so many different articles in this month, but this one said, you might not change someone else's attitude or behavior, but you can control your own. And so just try to recognize what's in your control as you're taking accountability. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. We are going to talk about the last piece of advice, which is to listen. And it's a big one. So Kylie, since you're a teacher and you teach a little bit about listening, what advice do you give to both the message givers and the message receivers about how, when you're having that discussion, how can you be a good listener? I usually, I think it's so important to acknowledge that listening itself is very vulnerable, like not even sharing, not even 
being in conversation, just listening itself, it's very vulnerable. And I think that's why some, I mean, there's maybe a few reasons we don't do it, but I think that's, that's one we don't talk about very often. It's hard. It's hard to read a book that might challenge your worldview, or it's hard to have a conversation with a friend where they're going to present a different idea or worldview because we build ourselves around our beliefs and values for those things to potentially be torn down. That's scary. And that threatens us. And so I don't know. I think that's sort of the first thing that maybe that's not advice, but like, it's, I want to acknowledge that it's okay if listening is painful and it's okay if there are times when you're like, I am not in a place where I can listen. And then of course, when you are, then, then it's a very good thing to do. But I think first of all, just acknowledging that, that it's hard and that if it wasn't hard, you know, we would be in a much different place. (laughs) We would be better at it. Yeah. So it's so hard. And then I think I've said this before already too, but I usually tell my students, listen to understand, don't listen to correct. And this is the the crazy thing about, (laughs) you know, like this diverse world, but almost it's so scary almost and beautiful and crazy, but like almost everyone in the world believes that they are right about how they're living their lives. Everyone has arrived at their ideas and beliefs through some way, through experiences that they've had that have confirmed to them that they're doing something right. And so sometimes we're just like, okay, well, let me tell you why you're wrong and why I'm right, because my experience tells me that I'm right. And I just think it's so important to, I guess guess it goes back to humility, but being like, okay, you know what? Like, I don't know their experience and I don't know that like what's right for me really has been right for them. You know, I think sometimes it's like, I don't know. I I don't know if this is human nature or socially conditioned or what, but sometimes like we really feel like we need to have an us versus them and convert people to be on our side or point out the flaws on the other side. But I just think it's so important, like understand and then trust you're strong enough in your beliefs that it's okay. (laughs) And if they need to change, they can change. But like, you know, it's really ineffective to be like, I have absolute truth and let me (laughs) tell you about it. And that's for anyone, Mm -hmm. political beliefs, anything workplace like it's just so ineffective to listen to correct and to enter with an assumption that you're correct and somebody else is not so I don't know I guess the the most important things are humility and vulnerability which are two really hard things definitely they are yes yeah I would give a plug again if you haven't heard the conversation with Amanda there's a lot you're saying that's reminding me of that conversation too from our first episodes let's talk about what gets in the way of listening We talk about defensiveness. It's kind of just like this knee jerk reaction. And in the Liahona that I was telling you about earlier, the September issue, there was a different article, I think, where maybe it was the same article, but this person was having a fallout with a friend and he typed out all of his responses and it was kind of charged. And he's like, can I send this to her? And he was almost about ready to justify his defensiveness by saying, you know, even Jesus confronted the Pharisees and he cast out the money changers. And, but then he said, but then I had this big realization that Jesus understands those people perfectly and Jesus respects them. And I don't, (laughs) and I'm not being understanding or respectful. And so therefore I'm like, Hey, I'm not like I'm Jesus. I'm me. And this is not in my realm. And so I'm going to rethink this. And so he slept on it and he deleted it, (laughs) wrote something better the next day. And that's one of the nice things about being able to type things out is that we can delete it and sleep on it. But there is that defensive knee jerk reaction. 
I really think that defensiveness is the opposite of faith. I think it's the opposite of openness. And I think it's the opposite of trust. And I feel like, you know, when we're coming from a defensive place, maybe it means we're not, we're not trusting, but that's kind of how I look at it. Oh yeah. I love what you're saying. And, you know, and I, this is such a human tendency. This is no judgment to anybody, but I, I love how you were saying all the things about like defensiveness is the opposite of, and I had this thought, like, is defensiveness the opposite of love? And I don't know if it is or not, but like kind of going back to what we were saying earlier about like, we're defensive because we want to protect our beliefs and our worldview. This isn't like a a malicious thing, but like, that is all about like the self, let me protect myself which our bodies do and our brains do. And we love them for that. But, you know, unintentionally, I think defensiveness, it's, it's very inward. And in a way it, it can be kind of selfish. Because ah. Like it's in some ways, I think it, it might be like the opposite of charity because it's all about, let me protect me rather than, you know, let me think about what this other person needs. I think that's really profound. Thank you. I like that. Another thing that gets in the way of listening is seeking to be understood before we seek to understand, which we are all guilty of being fed up in the moment. You know, if you're not in a good mind space for the conversation, that's going to get in the way of listening or not having the time to have the conversation. And sometimes you can't have that conversation again. I had an example with a friend where she was on a plane and the guy was she thought was the guy that was going to help her get her seat figured out. And he was like, I'm not the person that can help you. And, and then somebody else came to replace him. And so she never got to, to have that discussion, but she could tell that he kind of didn't, he felt bad about what he said. And she was like, what did I say that sent him off? You know, if and sometimes you'll never get the chance to have that conversation and resolve it. And I feel like that happens to most people, even when they have the chance that they don't resolve it. And that's why we all have mental health problems and we're all so screwed up. (laughs) But um, I think, you know, if the person is not available for you to discuss it with, that we've got a little bit of tips for that too. Just that, you know, working through this on your own can be hard for some and it can be easier for some, but it's all about letting go and just having the internal validation. Like, you know, I know what my situation was. And if I don't get to know what that other person's situation was, I can know completely what mine is. And so just explore, you know, what did I mean? What did I try and say, you know, your heart. So just get your heart settled. Mm -hmm. And like I said, if you don't have the chance to have a discussion that might haunt you longer, it might take longer to heal from, but just to focus on letting things go and having that internal validation from asking yourself those hard questions. Yeah, I love that. And I know like it's it's really hard not to dwell on those things, but I think too, it's important to realize like even if you could have that conversation, it wouldn't necessarily go the way that you're imagining it in your mind. And like uh-huh. you might not even really get that closure if you had that opportunity because you don't know where that other person's at or how they would receive things. So oh, I don't know. I think ultimately like closure has to come from ourselves a lot of the time and not only just when we can't have the conversation. That's true. I think it's great when you can get closure from the other person to go and get that closure. But ultimately, yeah, like you said, do it with yourself. Okay. I need to wrap this up. This has been a long, but enriching conversation. (laughs) Conclusion is, you know, remember to separate intent from impact the next time you notice that there's incongruence and work from a position where you are fully aware of what is in your control and what is not in your control. And uh, I would just say good luck to our bridge builders and anything you want to say to wrap it up, Kylie, any last words of wisdom? 
No, thanks so much for having me. And, um, you know, I think we need to be having more conversations like this. So thank you for what you're doing. Hey, thank you. We appreciate you. Hey, everybody. Are you feeling enriched? I was deeply enriched. How lucky were we to have Kylie to learn from on this episode? She was wonderful and just very fabulous. Time for takeaways and tidbits. So here we go. When you quote unquote, feel strongly, you need to say something, just pause and ask yourself where that strong feeling is coming from before giving into that strong feeling. If you're speaking when you're charged, that's when you're more likely to have an incongruent or negative effect or impact on somebody else. Believe others when they tell you their experiences, even if that experience is different from yours. Focus on what is in your control in each situation but lean into having empathy for what is not in your control in each situation. There is a balance between listening and standing up for yourself. The key is to be as graceful as possible when asking to be heard and always being willing to hear the other person out. We heard today that charity, openness, and faith could possibly be opposites for defensiveness. What do you think the opposite of defensiveness is and why? And remember that defensiveness is very inward. I thought that was fascinating. Listening can be an act of vulnerability. How can I become a better listener? How can I be less afraid of listening? And remember that humility is the key. As always, I encourage you guys do your own takeaways and tidbits. And I would love to hear from you what your takeaways and tidbits are. So please share them with us at our email and Facebook pages. You guys have been fabulous. Thank you for listening. Building Bridges is brought to you by me, Taylor Niebergall, and the hardworking volunteers who co-host with me. The music was written and recorded by Bethany Sorensen. If you liked what you've heard, consider submitting a review or sharing it with others. To submit ideas, you can contact me at buildingbridges.taylor at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page, Building Bridges Podcast. Stop crashing.